right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv, your guide through the madness and mayhem that is Greek mythology. The Virgil to your Dante. That's a deep cut for you divine comedy fans. Today I'm back with the first full episode of 2019, and we're delving right back into the madness we left behind those few months ago. The Trojan War is over, but the absolute insanity is only just beginning. Next up in the saga is one of my favorite stories from Greek mythology, that of the return of Agamemnon to his home, and what transpires from there. I would highly recommend that you listen to at least the final episodes of the Trojan War before listening to this episode. In addition to the episode on the Trojan women, and quite importantly, the Curse on the House of Atreus episode. These are listed with their episode numbers in the description of this episode on whatever you're listening to this on. Much of this ties really closely to what happened in those episodes, and includes characters I've introduced there. I'll provide really brief recaps of who these people are, but in order to move things along, I'm not going to go far into detail. So, you know, listen to the previous episodes. What are you even thinking jumping in straight here? You'll note that I have in the past, and I'll continue to, refer to these series of episodes as the Oristia. That isn't 100% accurate. Technically speaking, the Oristia is a series of plays by the tragedian Aeschylus, his version of the story I'm about to tell. But it's also just easier to refer to all the stories about this particular subject as the Oristia, so I'm going to. But I have and will keep using not only Aeschylus as a source, but also the other two surviving tragedians, Euripides, my favorite, and Sophocles. All three wrote their own versions of parts of this story because it's just so damn good. 
Also, I'll be consulting my many mythology books because you all know how hard it is for me to make a story out of just dialogue from an ancient play. I've had to do it in the past with the Lysistrata and the Trojan Women, and it's not easy. And with that long-winded explanation... This is episode 44. Will someone please just believe Cassandra? The Oristia, part one. Our story begins as the Greeks finally set sail from Troy. It's been ten long years away from everything. Their wives, their children, their homes. Everyone was pretty keen on getting on their way. But as they set sail, the god Poseidon did exactly as Athena had asked him. You'll recall our Athena was pretty fucking pissed at the actions of the Greeks at the end of the war, and she was looking to have them punished. She asked her uncle Poseidon, god of the sea and the best man for the job, to cause all the trouble he could dream up. So, as the Greeks tried to leave Troy, the bays were choked with dead men floating lifelessly on the water, and where there weren't bodies clogging up the waterway, There were razor-sharp reefs just below the surface. And when they finally got their ships out into the open sea and believed they were finally, after ten years away, en route to their homes, they were hit with storm after storm. Agamemnon, leader of the Greeks and chief awful human, nearly lost all his ships, though no love lost there. Agamemnon barely escaped, but he did. And he and his captive Cassandra, princess of Troy and prophetess, cursed never to be believed, were able to continue on their way back to Argos. Menelaus, king of Sparta, brother of Agamemnon and OG husband of Helen, was so awfully hit by the tempest sent by Poseidon that his ship was blown all the way to Egypt, so pretty far away from his home in Sparta. And Ajax the Lesser? the man who caused all this with his rape of Cassandra as she prayed to Athena for protection, he drowned in a churning sea when his ship was sunk in the storm. Aww. When the storm finally calmed and Poseidon has made Athena's point quite clear, Agamemnon is able to continue on to his home of Argos, with his captive, Cassandra, in tow. Meanwhile, though, in Argos, Agamemnon's wife, queen and sister of Helen, Clytemnestra, has been living her life quite freely with her husband away. You'll recall that in order to set sail to Troy in the first place those ten years ago, Agamemnon was more than happy to sacrifice their daughter, Iphigenia, all for the sake of good winds. He had her killed in an altar, a bloody affair, just for a little wind, so that he might wage war against a country that hadn't really done much at all. Clytemnestra, it seems, never forgave her husband. Gee, I wonder why. It wasn't only that Agamemnon had been more than happy to sacrifice their child. When he left, he had also installed someone to watch over Clytemnestra, to keep her in check, while he was away, but she wasn't having any of that. It wasn't long before Clytemnestra did away with the man left behind to watch over her, and for the past seven years she'd been living as husband and wife with Aegisthus. Aegisthus is Agamemnon's cousin, the son of an awful situation which I told you about in the episode on the curse of the house of Atreus. 
There's bad blood there. I won't try to recount quickly here. It's not quick. So listen to that episode. Aegisthus has been kept as prisoner by Agamemnon, imprisoned in the palace when the latter went off to war. Clytemnestra, angry with her husband and also probably lonely, freed Aegisthus once she had the freedom to do what she wanted, and they quickly developed a fondness for each other. They were, by all appearances, happy. They suited each other, Clytemnestra and Aegisthus, both bitter at Agamemnon and their lot in life, though Clytemnestra found herself angry. Angry at everything that had happened to her and her family, but most angry with Agamemnon himself. The pair have a plan for how they'll handle the arrival of Agamemnon. They've been plotting it for these seven long years. The day arrives. The ship is in the distance, and it's spotted right away. Clytemnestra has had a watchman placed strategically. He's been watching the sea in the direction of Troy for an entire year. He's been watching for a sign that Troy has been taken, that Argos's king may be finally returning. And there it is. The fires in the distance that signal Troy has fallen. The day they've all been waiting for has finally arrived. The watchman announces what he's seen, and inside the palace, Clytemnestra screams out in triumph. The palace prepares for the return of their king. It's been a decade he's been gone, and so much has changed. His remaining children have grown. They were so young when he left. But Orestes is a young man now, and Electra a young woman. Agamemnon rides in, very proud of himself, for returning, but mostly for defeating Troy in the manner in which he did. He's riding a chariot, surrounded by the men he sailed back with. Almost immediately, Clytemnestra arrives from inside the palace and greets her husband after his triumphant speech to those gathered to welcome him home. She's been waiting for him. Surrounded by her servant women, they all hold deep red tapestries in their hands. Clytemnestra tells him of how lonely she was with him away, and for so long. Then she tells him that their child is gone, that their child is gone, and yet their child should be there with them, standing at their side. The child, she explains, is Orestes. Of course, we're supposed to connect this with a pointed comment to Iphigenia, who is also their child. Iphigenia is not there with them because she was killed by her own father, Agamemnon. But no, it's Orestes, she explains, who's not there now. He's off in Phocis, a land ruled by an ally who's watching over Orestes for them. Clytemnestra welcomes Agamemnon, directing her servant women to lay out the blood-red tapestries as a kind of red carpet for the return of the king. It's not symbolic at all, Agamemnon entering his home after all this time, walking on a sea of red... Agamemnon looks at this river of red that Clytemnestra has just laid out for him, and he's disturbed. He tells her he won't walk on it. He would feel like he was taking the place of the gods. It's disrespectful, he says, to pretend to be a god in this way. But she convinces him. She pushes and pushes until he gives in, saying that, at the very least, he'll take off his boots. So he does. He removes his boots, and he finally steps down from the chariot and onto the river of red. 
but when he steps down from the chariot, he reveals Cassandra. She's been standing next to him, out of view of Clytemnestra. She's dressed in all the sacred finery of a priestess of Apollo, exactly what she is. But here, she's not a priestess of Apollo. She's a slave, a sex slave, kidnapped and brought there by Agamemnon as a prize for his win at Troy. Continuing on down the River of Red, Agamemnon instructs the servants to treat Cassandra well. He notes that no one chooses to be a slave, least of all her. It's a bit overly self-aware, I would say, given you're the one that fucking enslaved her, Agamemnon. In any event, he enters the palace on that sea of red, and Cassandra is left standing motionless and emotionless on the chariot. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And so Cassandra stands silent and motionless on the chariot. She can't be convinced to leave it to enter the palace. Clytemnestra tries her hand, ordering her inside, explaining that no harm will come to her, at least right now, that this is her lot, and she must come inside and face it. But Cassandra can't be convinced. Clytemnestra is left wondering if she even understands her. Do they need a translator? Are there hand signals Clytemnestra might use to get through to Cassandra? Has the poor girl gone completely mad? Finally, Clytemnestra gives up, and once more Cassandra is left standing motionless on the chariot. But now, others start to ask what's wrong. Can she not understand? Will she not go inside the palace? Finally, she speaks. She calls out to Apollo, calling this place a curse on the earth. 
Through her visions of the past and the future, she begins to see things about Argos, the city she's doomed to be in. She sees its past, the curse on the house of Atreus. She sees what family members did to one another, brother to brother, cousin to cousin, father to child. So much death and bloodshed and horrific, terrifying violence that's been committed in the city of Argos. Cassandra sees it all, and she calls out frantically. She describes the horror she sees. The people of Argos, those still outside, try to interpret her. They understand much of it. They all know the history of the city. But then she speaks of nonsense, is all they can make of it. She speaks of a lord being bathed. Of ropes and a net, a trap. She, Cassandra says, she is the trap, the bedmate, the deathmate. She speaks of murder, of blood dripping while life drains, of a bath swirling red. Cassandra continues on like this. She sees the fate of Agamemnon. She recalls her fate in Troy, the fate of her family and her city and everyone in it. She cries out, a mixture of discussing what she's seeing with those around her, the people of Argos, and a constant stream of information as she sees more and more, history and future. The people around her, the chorus in Aeschylus' play, believe much of what she says, but they're unable to see the importance of most of it. In the end, though, she's quite clear. Agamemnon is being killed inside, not by a man, as the chorus immediately asks, but by a woman. By his wife, who has planned this for years, laying in wait for her husband's return so she can lure him to his death. And not only that, Cassandra doesn't only see Agamemnon's death, but her own, by the same hand. She sees it now even more vividly, but she's seen it for some time, seen it since before she even left the shores of Troy. The people of Argos listen to Cassandra, and in their defense, they want to believe her. They understand all her references about the history of Argos, the fates of Atreus and Thyestes, and the children. But when it comes to her seeing their own king's death, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe her. She's not deterred, though, and she keeps crying out what she's seeing, She sees Clytemnestra plotting her own fate, having already carried out her plan against her husband. She has to make this one up as she goes, though. She wasn't planning on Cassandra. Her arrival was a surprise. But in the far future, long after Clytemnestra has succeeded in her plan against Agamemnon and her spur-of-the-moment decision against Cassandra, the pair will be avenged. In the end, Cassandra accepts her fate. She'll face it head-on, though she hopes she'll go gently. And as she walks toward the entrance of the palace to face this, 
She asks the people of Argos, who have listened to her as she's seen all there is to see of her fate and Agamemnon's, to remember her. To remember this slave ripped violently from her homeland that lay in ruins, only to die. From inside, the people of Argos hear the death cries of Agamemnon. They rush inside, the palace guards with their swords at the ready, desperately hoping they'll save their king. When they get to him, Agamemnon is lying in a silver bathtub, drenched in his own blood. Lying next to him is Cassandra, covered in her own. Standing above the pair, knife in hand, is Clytemnestra. She's got a smirk on her face, and she's more than ready to defend what she's just done to the men standing, staring at her in horror. What of it? she asks. Kind of, I'm putting words in her mouth there. Clytemnestra tells the men exactly how she did it, how she lured her husband in with the promise of a hot bath after his years away from home. It was so tempting to be truly clean after so long living out of tents, bathing in whatever way was possible there on the beaches of Troy. So tempting to have your wife shower you with affection, so lovely of her to prepare this for you after so long being away. Clytemnestra tells the men of Argos how, after Agamemnon had finished his bath and stood up, dripping wet, she had taken the blood-red tapestries and trapped her husband like an animal in a net. How she had stabbed him again and again from under the tapestry as he screamed out in agony. How the blood poured, soaking the fabric. How it spurted and covered her in the hot, sticky liquid. The men look on in horror as she regales them with the murder of their king. But, she asks, why shouldn't I have killed him? This man who sailed to Troy for the hell of it, who was more than happy to kill his own daughter in cold blood just to change the winds. Shouldn't he have been banished? She asks the men, for what he did to Iphigenia. That's the punishment for murder. I've told you about it endlessly. You kill someone, you're banished, to seek purification from another king in another land. You don't get to just move on, head to war, leading all of the Greeks, only to return to your palace ten years later as if nothing had happened and with a woman in tow? No, Clytemnestra doesn't feel bad. She doesn't regret what she's done. She killed her husband because he killed their daughter. And she has every intention of remaining in her place as Queen of Argos, and with Aegisthus as king. He's the family line, after all. Of course, the men go on about how this woman has ruined their king, how it was a woman who struck him down, and how Clytemnestra was not the first. It was Helen, they say, who first struck down their king and brought him to his fate, as if that's even remotely accurate. Only then, after all that time, was it Clytemnestra. This woman, damn this woman who has killed their king, as if... She didn't have a pretty damn good reason for wanting him dead.
Thank you all for listening to part one of this mad tale. I hope I've convinced you that this is going to be far more thrilling than much of the Trojan War. There's some pretty insane shit going on in Argos these days. For your reference, and if anyone's interested in reading some plays, which I would highly recommend, the plays associated with this story are Aegisthus wrote a trilogy, which is where the name Oristia comes from. That's what the trilogy itself is called. The individual plays are Agamemnon, the Libation Bearers, and the Eumenides. I'll also note that in Scream 2, Sidney Prescott plays Cassandra in a production of Agamemnon, and, well, if I can talk about the Scream movies on this podcast, I will. Sophocles wrote Electra about a portion of the story, and the brilliant Euripides wrote Electra and Orestes, both about portions of the story. Aeschylus' is the most complete telling, and features even a recap of how everything got to be the way it was. They're incredible plays, and I was only able to scratch the surface of just Agamemnon here, so I would highly recommend you read. Fun fact about me, when I was at Concordia University studying classics, I had a really awesome prof named Sean Gerd, who not only devoted an entire Greek drama course to studying the different interpretations of this story by the three surviving tragedians, but after the class was over, he set up a four-credit class where a small group of us planned and performed a radio play-type recording of Euripides' Orestes. The badass female that is Electra was played by yours truly. It was super fun. The following year, he also put together a performance of Hippolytus, but that one used actual drama students from the university, so I was only in the chorus. But what can you do? It was honestly the best. My apparent desire to have my voice recorded whilst talking about mythological characters runs deep. Thank you all again for listening. Stay tuned next week for a mini-myth, and then we're back to the Oresteia, because if you think Clytemnestra and Aegisthus get away with this scot-free, you're very, very mistaken. As per usual, please follow me in all the places. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's Myths Baby everywhere. You're all the best. I'm Liv, and I desperately love this shit. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.